Welcome to the Everything ECE Podcast. I'm your host, Carla Ward, and today we are going to discuss one of my favorite topics with guest Laura Shea. She is on the podcast today to talk about multi-sensory storytelling. Welcome to the show, Laura. Hi, thanks for having me. I am so glad you're here. We were talking before we logged on, and you and I have a lot in common, which I love. Tell the audience a little bit about yourself and who you are. All right, I'd love to. So I'm Laura Shea, and my Instagram handle is Little Stories That Stick. And I have potentially just resigned from being a public school teacher. <laughs> that is so exciting. Yep. And I am about to embark on this new adventure of exploring, you know, different ways to get the messaging out there about storytelling with young children and caregivers and educators. And what really has brought me to this is Vivian Paley and her, you know, groundbreaking work on in, embracing children's innate natural ability to tell stories and then bringing their stories to life in uh, performance on stage. And so through just kind of diving into this and building up my Instagram and finding more resources to share with others, I've um, made some awesome connections like you and that's what's brought me here that is awesome and as somebody who truly believes that stories can go well beyond the pages of any book and does not just need to be a teacher reading a story to students as beautiful as that is there is so much more that we can be doing with storytelling and I think it benefits everybody I think yes it benefits the children but I think it also makes our job so much more fun it really does. I actually was just reflecting on, um, because well, I'm sure you know what happens when you're, when something is easy for you or you do it regularly, you don't realize that it's harder or something that other people don't do. So I forget that most people, when they're in going to engage in a literary, literary experience with children, grab a book, whereas I'm a lot more likely to just start orally telling a story solely because it's so much more flexible for me. Like if I'm in the car and my child's having a hard time and she wants the book that's laying on the floor and I can't reach it, like I can't solve that problem beyond telling her a story. And so I think that it really does free up so much for us. And the other thing that I've been really finding the value in over the last year that I've been really diving into it a lot more in my practice with my parenting and with my children is the ability to create these extended narratives like my daughter sees herself in her stories now right and we we're able to like navigate it in that way actually my husband has totally gotten on board with it and he came down last night and he's like okay you need to write this down somewhere um Hiki's now has uh stories are about a horse named phoenix and the girl loves riding horses and he's like and and i won't forget kane's stories are about the dirt biker ricky but write this down so i don't forget and it was just so awesome to see that he's embraced this and you're just able to tailor it in any way in the Absolutely. spot on the fly, wherever you are. And it builds a connection. So it builds a connection between the adult and the child, but it builds this connection to the world. And I truly believe that that's how stories or that is how children make sense of the world. I think about myself as a teenager reading chicken soup for the teenage soul life is too short to experience everything yourself. So when you're able to read other people's stories, you're kind of able to navigate your life a little easier. For me, like I'm such a reader 
And I'm so like, I grew up loving books, loving acting. So for me, stories is just everything. And obviously I love to talk and tell (laughs) stories, hence why I have a podcast. So I just, I love the idea of storytelling and creating that. And how does that all transfer to your program? So I agree with you. I mean, stories are everything. And if we actually think about it, the the analogy that I use all the time is like, when you catch up with somebody you haven't seen in a while, you're literally swapping stories endlessly. Right? Like, that's what we just did before we recorded was yep. we were sharing na- personal narratives and making connections and tying it to, you know, books or movies or other people. Like it, it literally is the, you know, the foundation of human. And that's why storytelling is, has been around for forever. So I think that, that it is, it's just uh, an innate ability that we all have that just needs to be harnessed. And so for me, I've been teaching in either K or pre-K for the last 17 years. I would say, honestly, um, somebody brought this to my attention and they were asking about my undergrad or my graduate program. In my graduate program, I actually studied to be a, uh, get my teacher of reading, my reading specialist license. And oral storytelling really wasn't in there, nor was it much in my undergrad because she was curious, like in teacher preparatory programs, like are they preparing, you know, adults to tell stories as much as they are to, you know, do a read aloud, right? Like if we think about our teacher preparatory programs and they, they, you know, taught us how to do a read aloud, how to repeated read alouds, the purpose of each one, how to, you know, take the vocabulary and tear it. Like there were so many aspects of that. And I reflected and I was like, I don't have any vivid memories of it. I do. The main thing that I could pull on was like, I recall being taught how to do like shared reading of nursery rhymes or like engaging in some whole group, like word play, but not really being taught either the power, the benefit, or, you know, the way to tell stories. And I, my, the district that I started in was in Boston. And so in Boston, they have their own curriculum in the early childhood department from pre-K to second. It's called Focus On. So it's Focus On Pre-K, Focus On K, Focus On First, Focus On Second. And it's play-based and they've even incorporated play up through first and second grades, which is really exciting. Mm-hmm. That is exciting. It is. They call it studio time, but it's basically like project based play for, you know, first and second graders. So like if they're studying, you know, instead of making a diorama, (laughs) they could build it with Legos. They could use clay. They could record a song like, yeah, it's beautiful. But through their work, they um, partnered with somebody, Ben Mardell, who works um, is a professor um, at Leslie and is really tied into the Lego foundation and the pedagogy of play that book that they just published. He was one of the authors of it. And he has a relationship with um, Vivian Paley and he really promotes storytelling and story acting. So through just like networking, whatever, they actually brought Vivian Paley on for a year. um, And they launched this vision of incorporating storytelling and story acting from three to four-year-olds all the way through eight-year-olds and what it might look like for not just the adults to be telling stories, but for the children to be telling stories and acting them out. Um, and so that's where I got inspired and started readily taking down children's stories. But part of that, I learned over that year process that we rolled it out. I was kind of in the, you know, the guinea pig phase of it. 
was learning how important it was to actually model for the children storytelling, um, just to spice it up and give some variety. But also what I learned through Vivian was um, what she did was she would take the scenarios that unfolded in the classroom and then tell it back to the children as a story, right? And so I think that I imagine you follow the woman um, that um, founded uh, We Nurture. I imagine if you saw her logo, you would recognize it. And I can't think of her name right, right now, but she has these little um, posts sometimes where like there was one recently about like the cheeky little monkey. And it was just like a short story about a, a monkey that had to develop some more self-awareness around hitting. But a, like a, a subscriber or a person reached out to her and was like, my child's always hitting. And you have these little stories like, could you tell a story that I could tell my child to teach around the skill, uh, the social skill of hitting and biting or whatever it might be? And so I just have really leaned into that, like taking the things that I see unfolding with my students and harnessing their interests. Um, and that's where I've also dived into the, the multi-sensory aspect because the programming that I was in the last two years was with pre-K with children, three to five-year-olds with significant disabilities. Okay. So the reality of trying to read any book besides like a board book or a very predictable short, short text, I just felt like a failure. Like every time I went to read a book, I was just like hitting a wall. And I talked to my mentor that, you know, supported me while I was in Boston. And she was like, well, have you been doing storytelling? And I was like, no. And I just started with like 30 second stories. And then I built up to like a minute. And now like by the end of the year, now they would sit and engage the majority of them to listen to a four minute story that I was telling That's rather awesome. than a book. Yeah. And you know what? Good on you because we, I think sometimes so often we as educators forget the intention behind what we're trying to accomplish mm. is the intention for them to sit for four minutes or is the intention for them to be engaged and fall in love with storytelling, right? And if the goal was to sit for four minutes, it was never going to happen because trying to force a child that developmentally is not ready, you will keep hitting a wall. But when you start, you know, 30 second increments doing something that is so incredible, like storytelling, something that interests the children, mm -hmm. key piece there, magic is going to happen. That is so awesome. Exactly. And I think, um, I mean, that's the power of wordless books too, right? Because, and we all, as adults, we've done that as well, where we pick up a book that's, we notice like, okay, this book is way longer than I can or can read in this time frame or whatever it is that we start to change the words along the way or we speed it up or we skip a page. Like we use those strategies of storytelling with picture books. And I think that that was what I was losing sight of, right? I was saying, I want to read a book because I want to further their interest in, you know, whatever it was, like ladybugs, but they're not interested in listening to this or looking and listening to this text about ladybugs. They're totally disengaged. But if instead it became, you know, a multisensory experience where I made felt pieces with ladybugs and each kid could hold a little felt ladybug and touch it or put it up on the felt board when I told the story of, and then the second ladybug came in whatever way, that was the purpose, right? I, I wanted them to love the literacy experience and to to process and think of ladybugs in a different way. I was just trying to do it through a text that they were not accessing. Right. Let's dive more into multi-sensory. Like what exactly 
would the definition of multi-sensory look like in a program for storytelling? Yeah, so it literally on the most basic level would be just incorporating multiple senses into the oral storytelling experience with the end result of engaging the children and making it more participatory, but also more inclusive. So you're providing a variety of entry points and you're also um, empowering them to, to take ownership of some of the storytelling. So it's not a passive experience. It doesn't become as much of a passive experience as read alouds can be. It becomes more hands-on and more experiential, which, I mean, we know the science is what needs to be happening. And on top of that, the, you know, the, what's happening there and the, the benefits of it beyond their engagement is that it's really increasing their cognitive skills and their cognitive processing, their comprehension, as well as their ability to retain the story. Because the more senses that are engaged simultaneously, the more regions of the brain that are functioning, and then the stronger the pathways are becoming because it's going all around, right? So simultaneously, that's why like movement songs are so great for children because they're singing, they have a beat, they're touching their head as they're saying the word head, right? There's power to all those things. And so when you're taking that and applying it to oral storytelling, you're doing the same thing. You're just helping the brain form these stronger connections between auditory, visual, motor, whatever senses that you can tie them in and then just strengthening the neural connections. Yes. hundred percent. Do you have a favorite multi-sensory tool that you use on a more regular basis than others? I mean, I would say visual is always the, the quote unquote easiest for me to incorporate mostly because I already have so many things like made right in my quote unquote toolbox. I love felt pieces. I mean, I was making felt pieces back way back when, um, and I still do. And now, I mean, there's so many, like you could just go on Etsy or anywhere. You can get felt pieces that are pre-made like anywhere. And so that I love those because they are something tangible that the children can hold and use. They can eat them. They can not really rip them. And they can then use them in their own play in retelling or in whatever way. So I, I definitely say I default back to that. And to go outside of my comfort zone is I usually try to find different ways to incorporate more um, sound. So sound effects or music, adding a rhythm mm-hmm. or a beat. Um, there was one thing that I was reading about that talked about um, having even just like a background track to oral storytelling and that that can evoke different emotions or just like kind of change the atmosphere, which made me think about you because I've been totally thinking about, was it, is it Brain FM? Yes. Yes. I've been thinking about that ever since you mentioned it because I'm super into um, bilateral music and that kind of thing. But the idea of, right, like, I mean, we know from utero, they're like play classical music for children, just the background noise. But I've never had like a background track to me telling a story, but there is potentially something to that, right? Because it's layering, it's just layering on, you're telling a story, but you have that background to it. Just like in a movie, you're watching a movie and there's a background, there's a background track. 
I have never thought of that. Mm -hmm. That is such an awesome idea. And you could totally do it with Brain FM. Um, For those who don't know, so Brain FM is an app and I will put the link below this uh, episode and it's got different layers. So if you want to do deep work, it's got a soundtrack that is specifically intended for your brain to focus. Like it's science-backed and I couldn't tell you any of the research right now, (laughs) but it is science-backed music and their creativity soundtrack is completely different to the deep focus and completely different to the sleep. And I have done all three and it is freaking phenomenal. And I'm just, oh my gosh, totally going to play around with that for storytelling. So like, think about that mind blown. I tell different stories to my my personal children because I have my my students for the same kind of period of day. It's a half day program, so I don't need them to rest. So there, it's high engagement all the time. Like I don't care if we're active and whatever. But the story I'm going to tell my daughter before bed is going to be very different than the story I'm telling her in the car or when we're playing outside. So yeah, imagine if there was like this peaceful, soothing, you know, track that was playing while I was telling this, you know, the quieter, soothing story at bedtime and what what that might do I was never great in real outs at changing my voice um that is my strong suit was it I think the problem I always had for me was I could never always like recall what the the voice was that I used for the given character and then I my perfectionism kicked in so I just kind of was like I wouldn't oh my gosh you're so funny no that is like my favorite part about reading storybooks And it's probably the thing I miss the most. Mm. I'm actually trying to get in contact with someone at my local library to do a story hour because I miss that part. Well, you should do that and then incorporate storytelling with the read alouds. But in storytelling, right? So um, that is also a really easy way to increase the multisensory, right? So if you're doing just like animal noises or sound effects, like um, the going on a bear hunt book if you told that as an oral story that has so many ways that you can incorporate multiple senses right so it's got the sound effects the squelch the squatch the swish it has all those kind of words that you can make the noises like and then it also has the action right because they're trudging through or they're running so you can incorporate motor movement the children can do it and then there's definitely ways you could build in sensory um, more. I, can't, I don't know how you could build taste in there necessarily, but there could definitely be some type of smell or touch. You could have grass. You could have mud. You could make the room dark or, you know, throw a, you know, a black blanket over when they're in the cave. Um, but that when I really think about um, how I could incorporate more multisensory into any story. I just take a second and think back to we're going on a bear hunt because I think that that story is the epitome of um, a great oral story because of the repetition and the way that children can be engaged and engage multiple um, senses if you're telling that story aloud. Yes. And you know what's funny? I always forget that it's a book. Ah, You know what? I don't think I've ever actually sat down Mm -hmm. and read the book because Mm -hmm. why would you read the book when you can go on a bear hunt? Exactly. Exactly. And it's, I think, I mean, it could totally be done to a song. I feel like there are some out there that are probably almost like to a rhythm, right? So it, it builds that in too. And then lastly, you can build in this, you know, dramatic, 
reenactment of it, right? So it can become, you know, you could have costumes, they could act it out, you could, you know, you can physically do it outside in nature. I mean, obviously, that's the best way to tell it. But imagine if you're telling the we're going on a, you know, ladybug hunt, right? And you're doing it in this micro scale. And you're like, fearfully moving the blades of grass aside in some way rather than in this bigger scale. But um, that idea just got really cool to me. <laughs> right? Oh my gosh, me too. I was like, oh, because I've done, we're going on a leaf hunt. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, I love that. Another really good one that I do every Halloween without fail failure, and I've done it actually with my team, like my tutoring team, mm-hmm. is the little old little lady, lady. Mm-hmm. who wasn't afraid of anything. Mm-hmm. Like, like two shoes go clomp clomp and again right you can bring in the multi-sensory bring in the shirt bring in the top hat bring in the the slippers um and it's so fun to leave those things out because like they can't rip a shirt and if they did i mean it's a it's an old shirt but leaving that out and watching children recreate or this is when you really see the leaders in your program come out mm-hmm. because there's always one child that'd be like, no, okay, you sit here, you sit here, you sit here. Okay. You're going to be the shoes. You're going to be the shirt. And watching these little leaders come out is always so fun to watch. Yep. They become the narrator slash stage director. Right. Yes. And then you find the children that are just like, okay, you're telling me I'm going to do this, but you know, my shoes are not going to clump, clump, clump. They're going to tiptoe, 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 right? You totally get to see their personalities. But I think the ability to add in any types of um, tangible props that you can then put back out for the children to engage in is, is the second best part of it because it's leaving this provocation for them to explore the story in their own way. And I think the thing that um, I've had to really unlearn for myself is there's this like piece of me that feels like retelling a story is not actually telling a story, like it's not telling a story, but it is. Because if you think about um, movies or books, like they all, there are themes in human, you know, that engage humans for a reason. There's action movies or suspense movies or, you know, how many versions of the Little Red Hen because there's something about it. And whether you're retelling the Little Red Hen and it's the the traditional making bread or making a pizza, or I don't know if you're familiar with the book now, there's um, a Little Red Fort. There's like a girl who wants to build a fort it's an awesome book. And her brothers are the, you know, the naysayers saying like, no, A, girls can't build and B, you know, they just don't help. But by the end, she built a fort and of course they want to come into it. But that author wrote an original book. I would never discredit that author for what they did, right? So why in my brain do I discredit this retelling of a story that I've told or that they've heard that that it is in fact them telling their story and in every way, we could all tell the same exact story, word for word, read the script, but we're all going to tell it in our own way, right? Because that's what storytellers do. You engage them in whatever way you can, whether it's changing your voice or moving your body or whatever it is, because it's you, you're, you're the person. So that, that to me has been a, a, a hard thing for me to unlearn and, and find that it just is just as valuable for them to retell a story that I've told or they've heard as to tell, quote unquote, their own original story. 
Oh yeah. And again, that's when their personalities really come out. I mean, for kindergarten, for example, I mean, fart is a big word, right? And once upon a time, there was a little red fart. And then you just watch them fall to the ground, crumbling, (laughs) laughing. And that instinct is to correct them. But that's their story, right? (laughs) My story is the little red hen. Their story is the little red fart. We have to really take a step back sometimes and just see where it unfolds. Mm -hmm. And you know, when you just told that story, I don't know how familiar you are with Vivian Paley and her storytelling, story acting. But so the idea is you would take um, children's stories, let's say. So this child tells me the story and I would scribe it. I would write it down. And then later or at that same time, you bring um, all the children to a stage and it can just be a space marked off on um, a rug or outside or wherever it is. And you then tell the story and invite the children up to act it out. And so, you know, imagine being that kid that then, you know, is walking around farting. I know you can picture it right now, right? You make the inanimate object of a fart, right? And you invite a child to come up and pretend to be a fart. Um, yeah. And that's that's what she um, was all about. So this twofold thing of where you just sit and you listen for what the child has to share with you and take their story down. And then you, this, as she always said, the, the day doesn't end until this, every story that's told is acted out. And that was what she said is the best way to honor children. And, and that's how you get to know them. Um, and I have, you know, notebooks upon notebooks of children's stories. And if I flip through them and I find, you know, that one child's name and I look through them and over five months, you know, first, yeah. Okay. It starts out as this funny, like there's a kid that, you know, and there's a red fart, but then by the end, it's just morphed into this. They build on it. They change it. They add new pieces. They're inspired by a story that somebody else told or a movie they saw that weekend or a story you told. And then it becomes, you know, something way more elaborate and, and powerful. And that's the key word, powerful, because they learn that their words matter and that we care what they have to say. Mm -hmm. And to me, that is something that you can't fix later. We have to do it in the first five years. Since heading into business, I sit at these tables with so many people who have gone into business and they've had to work so hard as adults because they've said, you know, I was told to be quiet as a child. I was told that girls are seen, not heard. And I don't know if it's a South African thing, but that was not my upbringing. And I am so grateful for it because I am—I don't know what I would have done if someone told me to be quiet as a child. But to me, for children having a voice, it is so important. And doing that and honoring their words, I mean, whatever, its if it's a fart, fine. Like honoring their words mm-hmm. is such a powerful message that we send to them. And it takes no effort. It, it really doesn't. And that's what... I, you know, again, it's like, you don't, you don't realize until you're out of your little bubble. Right. And sometimes like Instagram can be a little echo chamber for us or the people in our, you know, in our program or our colleagues, depending on where you are. So when I was in Boston, you know, I didn't, that was how I came out of undergrad into Boston. I was mentored by some incredible people that did value play that were Reggio based that knew about documentation and making learning visible that were talking about loose parts. And so I knew about all this for the last 17 years and just assumed everybody else that was in their early childhood field did as well. No. Hey, you're talking from a pre theme based teacher. (laughs) I went to school. That's what we were trained in. We had a class called play experiences. Play experiences was how to teach based on a theme. 
that that was my class. That was my 17 to 19 years old. And then I came right out at 19 and went into teaching and I went right into theme-based learning. And don't get me wrong. Like my themes were top notch. Like they were gorgeous. (laughs) But at 23, 24, I started doing my own research and I discovered Sally Hoy of Fairy Dust Teaching, Mm -hmm. who I absolutely worship the ground she walks on. And she opened my eyes to the idea of play. And Mm -hmm. I grew up in play. Like Mm -hmm. I am a play-based person. Mm -hmm. So being allowed to have that freedom was incredible. But you don't know what you don't know when you're learning. Exactly. So I thought, you know, and I also went to a school, I went to Wheelock College in Boston, which is literally like for educators, like so many um, early childhood books that are on my shelf are written by the professors from there. So like they are in it. And so I didn't realize how fortunate I was at the school that I went to, the mentors that I had in the district that I was in. And it wasn't until... I, you know, moved districts and I'm where I am now. And I like, was like, oh, oh, what's, you're singing, what's the weather? And my kids are playing outside in the rain. Or like, you are doing tracing worksheets with three and four-year-olds that, like, that actually happens. And then as I dove more into the, you know, Instagram world of other early childhood educators, I realized like, oh no, this isn't, Like there are so many people that are actually actively advocating for play-based learning because it's not happening everywhere. And so similarly, because I was taught and we had storytelling, story acting was a 10 minute part of your schedule. Like you had to have it on your schedule and it only takes 10 minutes. It takes five minutes to sit down with a kid and be like, do you want to tell me your story? And it can only be a page. There's like limits and rules to it so that it's manageable. And it takes literally a minute to listen to a child and the story that they tell you and a pen and paper to write it down. And then sometime later in the day to sit together and read the story aloud as they act it out. And I thought that that was practice that something that everybody did or knew of. But as I started talking to more people, I was like, wait, you don't know who Vivian Paley is? Like this woman won the Genius MacArthur grant and she's the only early childhood educator to ever have won it. She's She wrote 15, 16 books. In the 1980s, she wrote books about being a white teacher, about like, don't say you can't play, about fairness, inclusivity, she literally wrote an article about like the decline of play in kindergarten in the nineties. And I just assumed everybody knew who she was and they don't. They know. And I will say until I met you a few weeks ago, her name was new to me, but (laughs) that's what makes Instagram, LinkedIn, Facebook, podcasting. That's what makes it so beautiful because Instagram is storytelling, Facebook, Mm -hmm. LinkedIn, that storytelling, podcasting is storytelling. And this is our adult way of learning Mm -hmm. because Mm -hmm. we're telling stories about our experiences and how we've come to where we are so that I bet there are going to be other people listening to this episode that are going to be like, oh, I need to listen to find out who Vivian Bailey is. Like, Mm -hmm. and that's great because now we've learned through storytelling, which is always a beautiful thing. Isn't it? Look at that full circle. Exactly. Right. (laughs) Nice little bow. I'll tie it up. (laughs) Well, listen, Laura, this has been absolutely incredible. I'm going to ask you, what is your favorite multi-sensory story? Um, so you actually tagged it today. So the, mm -hmm, yeah, the little red house, it must, I think that was one of the first stories I learned and I made the felt pieces on, um, like on felt, not flannel, like it was white felt. And I, 
did outlines and colored them in. I remember and, those days. Mm -hmm, yeah. And I still have those, but that story was one of the first stories I learned to tell. And I saw the power of the repetitiveness of it and that it ends with an apple that you can physically cut open. And in my classroom, I always said that to my children and we always had apples in our classroom. So even like all year long, it's like, you know, you don't, they don't want you to cut the apple, you know, the way you would traditionally cut it, cut it in half the way so you can see the star. And they are constantly still amazed that there's a star in the middle of it, which is a really cool thing. But that is one of my favorites because I have felt pieces you can adapt it to be any kind of character it builds in repetition the language repeats you can have a little bit of rhythm to it you can add sound effects and then it can end with this tangible thing that they can touch you can cut the apple and you can pass it out and everybody can eat the apple awesome and what i will do is i will link below this episode i will link your instagram post and i will link the pdf to the story the little red house because yeah. so much fun and so simple. It's again, it's quick. It's sweet. It doesn't take a lot of effort mm -hmm. and it's multi-sensory, which is just beautiful. Exactly. And everybody always has an apple around. So exactly. And Laura, <laughs> where can people find you, connect with you and reach out to you? Yeah. So you can find me on Instagram and then um, you can also find me. My, you can find everything through there. You can find my um, website from there and um, I'm always accessible, you know, through DMs or um, an email. And yeah, I'd love to connect and hear if you tell this story or not. And I actually think that Carla, I'm going to double check, but I'm pretty sure I have a freebie that I made some visuals that go with it that are um, characters. Uh, one story that one character that I started developed, his name is Cody and he's in a wheelchair and he has a mom and a mama. And I started telling stories about Cody to my son last year after I did um, a summit with Kristen R.B. Peterson, actually. And we were talking about how to incorporate more um how storytelling can be used for anti-bias, anti-racist practices. And I was sharing about how many stories are actually about animals. Amazing. And she challenged me to tell more stories about humans. And I found that the reason I didn't do it as much is because it was harder to follow a story with human names. Because you could say the rabbit, the cat, and you could always, you know, you could jump around and you knew where you were going. But then she challenged me to like, what if I developed these narratives of characters so that by, you know, a couple months in, I could have three or four characters. So when I said, and Cody went over to Rebecca's house and saw Jess Mariah, the kids knew where I was going with it. And I knew where I was going with it. Um, right. So I'll actually sh share that with you. I have these visuals and a story, a PDF of a story that I wrote. And um, you Perfect. can laminate them and stick them on Velcro and put them on your felt board. And all of that will be linked below the episode. Awesome. Laura, thank you so much for coming on today's episode. Thanks so much for having me.